This is Ham College, episode 44 for August 31st, 2018. Ham College is brought to you by ICOM. See how you can make the most out of contest season with ICOM. And by hamstudy.org, a great way to study for your next license exam. Good evening. Welcome to another episode of Ham College. I'm Professor Thomas. And I'm Dean Martin. And it's great to be back again with another exciting school year just beginning here. Yep. Tonight's t-shirts wardrobe is brought to you by uh, VE3MIC. Yep. Uh, who does it? It's not in the chat room. Tonight. Who's not in the chat room? Nah, we're, on, uh, we're recording this on a Thursday instead of a Friday, so it kind of threw some people off. Cause yep. Uh, a little out of town for the holiday weekend. Yep. Coming up, middle of October, got a great prize package here. We'll be talking about that in just a little bit. Tell me what was on last month's show. Now, well, I noticed you look at the cheat sheet there. Well, <laughs> so much has happened since then. Uh, oh, yeah, we did talk about emergency communications, mm-hmm. uh, Skywave propagation. Right. And Yagi antennas. Yagi antennas. We've been talking about HF antennas, but specifically Yagis. And, you know, Yagis are not just HF. You can get them for VHF, Mm -hmm. UHF as well. Yeah. Um, You could even get one for uh, medium wave frequencies. Yeah. But it would be kind of large. Yeah, they're actually easy to make as well. Uh, Yeah. Nice nice projects if you're wanting to build an antenna for a first project. It'd be a good one. You've got a nice tape measure for sale for that, don't I've you? I've got half a tape measure left. Okay. The second half. Yeah, the, yeah, the long half. <laughs> the long half. <laughs> okay. Well, there you go. You might get two out of that one right there. Yeah. Well, what are we going to talk about tonight? Uh, we're going to talk about some uh, more propagation stuff. More Skywave type mm-hmm. of things? Yeah. And... Uh, some antenna theory, I believe. Antenna theory. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about the maximum usable frequency, the MUF. We are, we are going to talk M-U-F. about that. But that goes along with the propagation stuff. Well, it does. The MUF. And we're know. also going to talk about a bunch of stuff, uh, no telling what we're going to talk about. Well, that's true, but, I mean, that goes without saying. Because we can't really list it because we don't even know what it is yet. Mm-mm. You know, we just make this stuff up as we go. <laughs> but we try to give you some useful information for taking your exam and passing it. So, without delaying it any longer. Without further ado. Yeah, without further ado, why don't you present tonight's lesson to the class? I sure will. And uh, do me a favor and don't turn on the amp. Okay. <laughs> All right, so the, tonight's lesson is about. Maximum usable frequency, as George said. Uh, In regards to radio operation, the maximum usable frequency, or MUF, is the highest frequency that can be used for transmission between two points using skywave propagation, or skip, at a specified time. The MUF does not change when you change your transmitter power, so it's not affected by the transmitter power. In radio communications, a way that can communicate beyond the curvature of the Earth is to use the ionized layers of the atmosphere and bounce our radio waves back to Earth. This gives us the ability to communicate at incredible distances using relatively modest transmitter power. We talked about that some. Um, I guess that was last month. Yeah. Um, That's where you got the, uh, the thumbnail. It looked like I was calling a timeout. You were actually bouncing the radio signals off your I was actually bouncing radio waves like that. Yep. <clears throat> you only see it here, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the effectiveness or the refractive index of the ionosphere decreases as the frequency we use increases. 
This means there's an upper limit to the frequency we can use. When we use higher than the maximum usable frequency, our signals are not bounced back to Earth. Instead, they just go out into space. Hmm. So no, none of that. Straight up. To, nope, none of that. If the frequency is too high, then uh, then the, it does just doesn't reflect back. And so that changes throughout the day for different frequencies. It, it does, and I'll, I'll show you a little diff, uh, demo about that when I get to the okay. end here. The ionization of the atmosphere varies with the time of day and season and solar conditions. So the upper frequency limit for skywave communication varies on an hourly basis. The MUF is a frequency defined as the highest frequency at which skywave communication is possible 50% of the days in a month as opposed to the lowest usable frequency, which is the frequency at which communication is possible 90% of the days, and the frequency of optimum transmission. On a given day, communications may or may not succeed at the maximum usable frequency. Generally, the most effective operating frequency for given path is about 80 to 90% of the MUF. As a rule of thumb, MUF is approximately three times the critical frequency, and the critical frequency is the highest frequency reflected for a signal propagating directly upward, which is, I'm pretty sure, what my antenna install does. Shoots straight up? Yeah, because I can't get it very high. Yeah. I do have a website here I ran across. There are quite a few. Now, this is not my site. This is af7ti.com. And I, I don't know him, but he's got a really nice website here that shows uh, basically real-time maximum usable frequency map. So if we look over here at uh, at us right here, 14 megahertz, if I'm following that right, each one of these bands are another megahertz higher. So uh, earlier, I think it was around 20 when we looked at it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the maximum usable frequency optimum would be 80 to 90% of that. So it was falling right around in the 20 meter band earlier. And now it's gone down to yeah, but uh, 14 right, megahertz. Because, and yeah. if you look at the gray line right here on this map, you can see darkness is kind of falling here. Oh, so that's what that shadow is there. That's nighttime. Yeah. And now if you scroll down to the bottom down here, he's got some other charts. But uh, this one shows you the gray line for the last 24 hours. And you can see how it's affected. Um, by the sun. That's interesting. So it looks like what's happening there is as it gets later in the day on up at night, the maximum usable frequency goes down. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's why you hang out on uh, 75 lower, meters. Lower frequencies. And mostly yeah. in the evenings. Hmm. And uh, I did this weekend, I was looking at that. Uh, Stuff just kind of peeling around, and, and I saw it was uh, 20 meters was the one that was active at the time. Turned my radio on, it showed it showed it went right around through Florida, up the East Coast, up to New York. And I turned it on, and I actually heard a conversation between somebody in Florida and uh, and north New, eastern side of New York. It was kind of interesting. So, hmm. I mean, it, it, it works. Yeah. Now, it's obviously, it's not an exact science, so there are other things involved. Uh, you're angular radiation of your antenna, things like that. So there's some other mm -hmm. variables, but uh, it's a cool, pretty cool tool. Okay, first question for tonight. What does the term critical angle mean as used in radio wave propagation? A, the long path asthmus of a distant station. B, the short path azimuth of a distant station. C, the lowest takeoff angle that will return the radio wave to the Earth under specific ionospheric conditions. D, the highest takeoff angle that will return a radio wave to the Earth under specific ionospheric conditions. I'm glad this is yours. Yeah. Well, it's only going to there can only be one right answer. Just which one is it? Ah, that's, very that's very observant there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, well, it's going to have to be D, because that's uh, we just kind of talked about the critical angle in the lesson mm -hmm. just a few moments ago. So that's uh, so you're saying it's, it's D. D. This 
They're saying, uh, a lot of them are saying C over there in the chat room tonight. So, uh, Although you do have one B or D with you there. Let's, let's see. We do have a not A or a B. There you go. Mm -hmm. Nailed it. Nailed it. But I just read it just a few moments ago, so. Yeah, I was sleeping, so I didn't I really. Should've, you yeah. should have got this question so I can see <laughs> if you were paying attention. I should have, yeah. <laughs> uh, what does MUF stand for? A, the minimum usable frequency for communications between two points. B, the maximum usable frequency for communications between two points. C, the minimum usable frequency during a 24-hour period. D, the maximum usable frequency during a 24-hour period. Okay, well, we know it's not a 24-hour period thing because you're interested in what the maximum usable frequency is right now. Now. Between where you are and where you want to talk to. So I'm going to say it is B. Everybody in the chat room saying it's B, so I, I feel pretty confident about this one. Mm -hmm. There we go. We uh, That was actually in the lesson a few moments ago as well. What factor or factors affect the muff? A, the path distance and location. B, time of day and season. C, solar radiation and ionospheric disturbances. Or D, all of these choices are correct. Mm. Well, the path, distance, and location do matter. Yeah. The time of day and the season definitely matters. We saw, we saw the time of day difference on the chart just a few moments ago mm -hmm. on the animated chart. Solar radiation and ionospheric disturbances, and that was actually covered in, in the lesson a little bit. So the answer's got to be D. All of these choices are correct. Well, I concur, as does everyone over in the chat room there. So I think, I think you're probably right, and you are. Which of the following applies when selecting a frequency for lowest attenuation when transmitting on HF? A, select a frequency just below the MUF or maximum usable frequency. B, select a frequency just above the LUF or LUF. C, select a frequency just below the critical frequency. Or D, select a frequency just above the critical frequency. Well, it seems to me like I heard somebody talking about this just recently. Yeah. And... Which of the following applies when selecting a frequency for lowest attenuation when transmitted on HF? That means I don't want my signal to be attenuated out in the atmosphere. I'd rather send it to somebody. So um, I'm going to select a frequency just below the MUF. And everyone's got that right in the chat room, or at least agrees with me, and yeah. that's, that is the answer. What usually happens to radio waves when frequencies below the muff and above the luff when they are sent into the ionosphere? I do not a, like green eggs and ham. Almost sounds <laughs> like Dr. Seuss question or Boy, something. Boy, it kind of does, doesn't it? A, are they bent back to the earth? B, they pass through the ionosphere? C, they are amplified by interaction with the ionosphere. Or D, they're bent and trapped in the ionosphere to circle the Earth. Wow. Hmm. For eternity. I don't even remember this question typing it in. Really? Yeah. Um, well, they're not bent. Well, what, well, let's look at the question. What, ha what usually happens to radio waves with frequencies below the maximum usable frequency, and above the lowest usable frequency when they're sent into the ionosphere. So that's like the ideal range, the way yep. I'm reading that. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the whole point is uh, for them to be, get uh, reflected back down to the earth, right? So mm -hmm. that's, what, that's what their goal is. Uh, so they don't pass through the ionosphere, and they're certainly not amplified. No. And... And they're certainly not trapped in the ionosphere, or we'd never talk to people in Europe. So the only answer that can be is, A, they're bent back to the Earth. I'm going to agree with you. 
That, that makes sense to me. Everyone over in the chat room agreed with you as well. What is a reliable way to determine if the maximum usable frequency is high enough to support skip propagation between your station and a distant location on frequencies between 14 and 30 megahertz? A. Listen for signals from an international beacon in the frequency range you plan to use. Hmm. B. Send a series of dots on the band and listen for echoes from your signal. C. Check the strength of TV signals from Western Europe. Or D. Check the strength of signals in the medium frequency AM broadcast band. Hmm. What's a reliable way to determine the muff is high enough to support skip propagation between your station and a distant station on frequencies between 14 and 30 megahertz? Well, we don't... Uh, Checking the signal strength on a medium wave AM broadcast band, that's not really going to tell us because broadcast band is, you know, <clears throat> that's, that's down closer to 1 megahertz, and we're talking about 14 to 30 megahertz, so that won't help. Checking the strength of TV signals from Western Europe, well, I don't recall picking up TV signals from Western no, Europe No, but that here. would be fun to check out. That would be from fun. Time to time. Yeah. But none of the TV stations operate from 14 to 30 megahertz, so that's not, no. not even possible, even if it was. B, send a series of dots on the band and listen for echoes from your signal. Yeah, that's, that's not going to happen. So I'm thinking it's A, listen for signals from an international beacon in the frequency range you plan to use. I think that's going to be it, A. Most yeah. of the folks over in the chat room are saying A. A beacon is a, a little very low power, like QRP power transmitter, generally, that someone sets up at their shack or in some location. Like, I could run one here. I could just put an antenna out in the tree and fire up a little QRP transmitter and just transmit, say, my ID, uh, maybe... Maybe some more information with it, but at least my ID on there. And people could listen in different locations. And if they heard my call sign uh, and, you know, they were in Europe or somewhere, well, they would know that they had propagation between where they were and where I am. So there's beacons set up all over the world by different amateurs. And you can tune around, and if you hear one of those beacons, you know that you've got propagation in that direction. And, you know, it might be a good place to, to go so check around. is there a directory of beacons that you can go find? There are, and I don't recall it right off hand, but I remember Jim talking about that on Amateur Logic uh, several oh, well, years ago. Oh, you know he ago. sure did. I've forgotten about that. Yep. I'll have to go look that one back up. As a matter of fact, uh, John, yeah, I did build a 30-meter beacon kit. It may have been in Ham Nation or Amateur Logic. I don't remember which now, but I do remember building it. And um, yeah, I've got the a twenty worked. meter. I've got a twenty meter kit that might be a fun project to resurrect. Yeah, maybe solar power. I've actually got a small solar power and a small battery. You can put it off in the woods somewhere. Yeah, just go off and leave it. Yeah. Yeah, you could do that. It might be kind of fun. Anyway, let's look into that. I think it's time we got a message from a sponsor. Reshuffle things around here and get the next set of questions ready to go. Okay. Heard it, worked it, logged it. It's time to get the transceiver that's best suited for your lifestyle. ICOM offers a variety of high-performance and innovative products. See how you can make the most out of contest season with these transceivers. The competitive edge you've been looking for, raise the bar and hear what others cannot with this flagship HF 50 MHz transceiver, the IC7851. Reciprocal mixing dynamic range, crystal clear local oscillator design, spectrum scope, dual receivers, and digital voice recorder. The IC7610 is the SDR every ham wants and just in time for contesting season. 
This high-performance SDR has the ability to pick out the faintest signals even in the presence of stronger adjacent signals. The new ICOM IC7610 is a direct sampling software-defined radio that will change the world's definition of a SDR transceiver. RF Direct Sampling 110 RMDR Independent Dual Receiver Dual Digicell IC7300 is changing the way entry-level HF is designed. This high-performance innovative HF transceiver with a compact design will far exceed your expectations. RF Direct Sampling, 15 discrete bandpass filters, large 4.3-inch color touchscreen, real-time spectrum scope, and SD memory card slot. Visit icomamerica.com amateur for more information on all the great ICOM radios. We do a contest here. Every week on Ham College. Well, actually every month every on Ham month College. Every month on Ham College. We've got a nice ICOM hat there. The new model. Yeah. Gray and black. Yeah, you know, those are nice hats, too. They it's are. Good heavy, good heavy duty. It's soft. Mm-hmm. It's not really nice. And uh, ICOM Ham Crew t-shirt. You know, I saw a few people walking around the Huntsville Ham Fest recently wearing these. Yep. Don't be the only one at the ham fest that doesn't have one. So yeah, we're going to tell you how you can get your very own here in a few minutes. Yep. As a matter of fact, we may just go ahead and do it right now. Why, why don't we? Okay. If you'd like one of these, all you got to do is just send an email to hamcollege at amateurlogic.tv, and you might win. You don't have to be a ham. Uh, doesn't hurt, but you don't have to be. And just send us an email. Tell us who you are. You got to have a name and an email address. Yeah, that's all you got to have. If you want, you can um, you can tell us a little more than just that. Like uh, this month's winner, Jason Finley, W2PX. Jason said, "Awesome show, guys." Look there. Great words. Yeah. Just for that, Jason, we're going to send you one of these. Icon will be getting it right out to one you. Each of these. One each of those. And Jesse, you know, he always throws a little something extra in the package. So you'll you'll get these two swag items here and, uh, you know, Good chance a couple there's other be little some things. other stuff in there as well. Yep. So, so yeah. thanks for doing that, ICOM. And, hey, get your email in now. It's, it's not hard to do. We've had some people who've won more than once, I yeah. think. And I think you and you and you're eligible to enter, I guess, as many times uh, as many months, once per month. But you can right. enter again, I guess. Oh yeah, every every month, send us a new email because we don't collect them or save them. Uh, each time we draw a winner, we delete the whole stack and we start over start again over the next fresh. month so if you didn't win you still want to send us another email next the next month there you go um, get yours in so uh, you can get in the drawing okay back to these questions they're not going to answer themselves they're not no and they're not going away no not for about another what four years <laughs> I don't know. We got got a few more to go. I think we'll finish the general before that, though. Which ionospheric layer is closest to the surface of the Earth? Is it A, the D layer? B, the E layer? C, the F1 layer? Or D, the F2 layer? And I just so happen to know this one because I did a lesson on this last month. You did? I did. So it's the ionosphere is in layers, and it starts with D, E, F1, and F2, depending on the time of the day, if it's F1 and F2. Mm-hmm. So the, lo- the closest to the surface of Earth would be the D layer, A. That's, yeah, I agree with you, but the D layer A, you know. D layer, letter yeah. A, option yeah, A. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> I think everybody over in the chat room got that one right too. And you know, all you got to know is where your ABCs. Do they start on top or on bottom? It's alphabetical. Yep. There you go. It's the D layer. Why don't we have someone else read one of these questions? Yeah, well, we started having guest readers uh, last month. What? Yeah, it was last month, wasn't it? Yeah. And we've got one here at your uh, yeah, your it's friend, my buddy, right? Yeah. 
Billy, K-E-0-E-M-Y, and here's the question. Which of the following is a good indicator of the possibility of skywave propagation on the 6-meter band? A. Short skip skywave propagation on the 10-meter band. B. Long skip skywave propagation on the 10-meter band. C. Severe attenuation of signal on the 10-meter band or D, long delay echoes on the 10-meter bands? It's got to be either A or B, short skip or long skip skyway propagation on the 10-meter band. I'm going to say if we've got um, long skip propagation on the 10-meter band, that might be a good indicator that we've got uh, skyway propagation on the 6-meter band. It's got to be one of those two, A or B. Yeah. Looking, uh, I would agree with that. Yeah, I'm not <clears throat> getting definitive answers from the chat room over here. Apparently, this is a tough question. So, we're just going to take a stab. Should we call, phone a friend? or We should let email know that it could just... Buzzer could be coming up right here. Oh. Ah, okay. Yeah, that, I'm glad you got that one instead of me because I didn't know that one either. And I need to do some research and see why that's the case. I don't. I don't understand why. Yeah. Thanks a lot, skip. Billy. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. Those. That I know Billy. Billy's my friend. I worked with him. And, uh, yeah. He got his ham ticket while we we're working together there. Wow. Oh, well, can't win them all. Yeah, it happens. It happens to the best of us every now and then. Hmm. You yeah. know, <clears throat> well, I don't know why that is, but I just need to remember that short skip on 10 meters indicates it might be uh, possible to do sky wave on six. Well, I got a question for you. Okay, hit me. What is the approximate maximum distance along the Earth's surface that is normally covered in one hop using the E layer, or the E region? Is it A, 180 miles? B, 1,200 miles? C, 2,500 miles? Or D, 12,000 miles? Okay, so I think this one's going to be kind of easy. You do? Yeah, because last month, one of the questions was about how long is the approximate distance for the F layer? And the mm -hmm. answer was 2,500 miles. Since we said earlier the layers are D, E, F1, F2, that's going to be a lower layer, so I'm thinking it's going to probably be B, 1,200 miles. So you're thinking it's B. I'm thinking it's B. Saying there's a chance. Uh, they're kind of mixed. More folks think it's C over in the chat room, and I think it's C. Well, it may be, but I think it's B. So we may be getting a buzz, sequential buzzers here. B. B. You know, I was really hoping Maybe it was I C. should be the professor. <laughs> you can be the professor tonight, yeah. <laughs> These just happen to be the ones I did the lessons on, so I, I remember them. That's, isn't that like cheating? You know, well, unless you, you somebody else come sit over here and answer them. You didn't just do that to me. You did that to most everybody in the chat room right there, too. Okay. Well, hit me with your best shot. Okay. How about this one? Which ionospheric layer is... Notice I'm saying ionospheric right tonight because I, yeah. I butchered that last month. Yeah. Which ionospheric layer is the most absorbent of long skip signals during daylight hours on frequencies below 10 megahertz. A, the F2 layer. B, the F1 layer. C, the E layer. Or D, the D layer. Which ionospheric layer is the most absorbent of long skip signals during daylight hours on frequencies below 10 megahertz? Most absorbent. Hmm. Boy, I don't remember typing this one in there either. I don't actually type them, I cut and paste them, but I still have no recollection of it. 
So most absorbed on long skip signals during daylight hours on frequencies below 10 megahertz. Well, we know during daylight hours frequency below 10 megahertz don't work so well, so... Hmm. I think they'd probably get through the D layer. Most absorbent. Absorbent. Yeah. That means they're just going to go there and stop. Yeah, they're going to get um, absorbed or just, yeah, go there and stop. During daylight hours. I mean, we know this happens during daylight hours that the signals, you know, they they below 10 megahertz that you really don't have any any skip signals, so... Which layer is doing that to us? I'm just going to have to take a flying leap on this one. I think it's one of the F layers. And for lack of any better reasoning, I'm going to say it's B, the F1 layer. I think it's going to be D. You think it's going to be the D layer? Yeah. And the only reason I say that is because I've never really heard of anybody doing skip on the D layer. Ah, okay. And well, that's, only, that's absolutely the only reason why I, this wasn't in our lesson. Well, a lot of folks said D. Matter of fact, most of them who, who uh, put an answer over in the chat room said it's D. Well, let's see. And y'all were all right. Man, that's two buzzers for me. This is a glorious evening. <laughs> <laughs> and school is getting off to a I'm rocky sorry. start. I should have brought my textbooks too, I guess. Yeah, you want to borrow one of mine? <laughs> uh, no, but, you know, I, I noticed a while ago they were saying over in the chat room that they were ready for an intermission. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It would be about time for one. Well, with the buzzer going off twice this close you together, need one too? I think I need one too. Are you new to the ham world or an existing amateur operator who wants to take your license to the next level? Study for your radio license exam at hamstudy.org. Hamstudy.org is a free online learning tool powered by ICOM. It was created by Richard Bateman, KD7BBC, Michael Stuffelbean, KV9G, and Rich Porter, KK6GKE, and it uses a modern web design to enhance the experience of studying for your technician, general, and amateur extra exams. Since 2013, hamstudy.org has helped new and existing hams to familiarize themselves with the question pools, use stats-based flashcards to focus on material they need to learn, and take practice exams to gauge progress. Visit hamstudy.org on your desktop computer or mobile device. Register for a free account at hamstudy.org to access personalized study history and other site features. Prepare for an exam in an intuitive and comprehensive manner. Check out hamstudy.org powered by ICOM for free learning tools. Good luck on your next exam. Back into our questions. I'm revived now. It's not stopping. And I'm ready to go because we're going to be talking about HF antennas now. And I'm the one who did study. I'm glad you gave these. me my book back after the intermission well, was over. Let's see how we do this time okay. around. All right. What is the advantage of vertically stacking of horizontally polarized Yagi antennas? A, it allows quick selection of vertical or horizontal polarization. B, it allows simultaneous vertical and horizontal polarization. C, it narrows the main lobe in azimuth. D, it narrows the main lobe in elevation. Oh. Get the buzzer ready. Got it right here. What is an advantage of vertical stacking horizontal polarized Yagi antennas? So that's two on top of each other. But only one can be on top. One on top. It allows quick selection of vertical. That's not going to be right. B, it allows simultaneous vertical and horizontal. That's not right because they're both horizontally polarized. Narrows the main lobe. D, 
narrows the main lobe in elevation. I'm just like reaching here. I think you're going to have more gain with the two. Right. And I know the way my high gain two meter antenna works to get the gain up it, instead of the angle of radiation being up so far up, it, it kind of narrows. It brings it down from the top. I know it's not the first two. It's not A or B. I'll agree. So it's I got not. a 50-50 chance here. And I think it's going to bring that that pattern down. So I'm th I'm guessing it's going to be D, uh, but I don't know. You're probably going to get buzzed. Yeah, um, most of them in the chat room are saying it's D, and I'm saying it's D. That's it's not too hard to reason out there. You're correct. Well, that's, I got lucky. It's because <coughs> you've you've got one Yagi here. You got another one right above it. Mm -hmm. It's not going to change the azimuth mm -mm. because you know that that's already set. Right. You know by the elements of the Yagi. So the only thing it can change there is the elevation. It's because right. the two signals interact with each other. How does the gain of two three-element horizontally polarized Yagi antennas spaced vertically, half wavelength apart? Typically compared to the gain of a single three-element Yagi. I expect you'll be reading that one again. A, 1.5, approximately 1.5 dB higher. B, 3 dB higher. C, approximately 6 dB higher. Or D, approximately 9 dB higher. There's another one I'm glad you got instead of me. How does the gain of a two, three-element Horizontally polarized Yagi antenna spaced vertically, one half wavelength apart, typically compared to the gain of a single three element Yagi. So basically, what's, what's the gain difference by adding a second three element Yagi? Well, I know it's I not a. Hunch. Yeah, it's not <clears throat> A. It's either B, C, or D. I don't think it's. Uh, I don't think it's D. I don't think it's that high. So that's down to B or C. I'm thinking we probably out of a three element Yagi, maybe we're getting a three dB gain out of that. Well, that's that's double, right? Uh, we're going to find out here right quick. Well, I think yeah. that th three dB is double. Oh yeah, yeah. Three so, dB is double. So you got two of the same antennas. So I mean, that's the one mathematically that seems mm -hmm. to make sense. That doesn't mean it really is going to work out yeah. like that. But, so uh, I'm going to say it's C, and it would be a shame for me C? to get three buzzers in one episode. I'm thinking it's B. You think it's B? Chat room saying it's B. You know, I'm kind of thinking it's B too. Yeah. Yeah, I am. Well, three dB is double. It's double. Yeah, 3dB higher. Okay. Nice job. For you, which of the following is a disadvantage of multiband antennas? A, they present low impedance on all design frequencies. B, they must be used with an antenna tuner. C, they must be fed with open wire line. D, they have poor harmonic rejection. Hmm. So, uh, present low impedance on all design frequencies. Must be used with an antenna tuner. That's not really true. Must be fed with open wire line. That's not really true either. They have poor harmonic rejection. That that probably is true. I think that's going to be the answer. Because they work on so many frequencies, uh, harmonics won't get filtered out based on the band, the bandwidth of the antenna. You, you sure you won't D? Yeah, I think that. Yeah, that's what I think the answer is D. Well, that's what I think it is too. But I was hoping it, you know. You hope you get <laughs> a buzzer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everyone over in the chat room is saying D, and it is D. Yeah, because the multiband antennas designed to mm -hmm. be resident on multiple 
bands, yeah. and yeah, you could have harmonics got problems there, or or less rejection anyway. So, for the ones that don't know, tell us what a harmonic is. A harmonic is a multiple of a fundamental frequency. In other words, if I'm transmitting, say, hmm, well, just to make it simple, let's say I'm transmitting at one megahertz. I wouldn't be doing that as a ham, but say if I was transmitting at one megahertz, if I had poor harmonic rejection, I'm, you might see my same exact signal, a little bit of it, on two megahertz. Mm. Or you might see a little bit of it on four. But, but weaker. But weaker. But still, you wouldn't really want to see much at all. There are specific limits as to how much um, harmonic radiation you can have. Because it's just a design uh, thing on transmitters that and amplifiers that you can get harmonics in mm -hmm. there but usually there's filtering in there to take care of that so cool i just figured some of them out there might not understand what it was yeah <clears throat> what is the primary purpose of antenna traps a to permit multi-band operation b to notch spurious frequencies c to provide balanced feed point impedance or D, to prevent out-of-band operation. What's the primary purpose of antenna traps? You know, antenna traps are like, um, well, like like some beam antennas, Yagi antennas for HF. You'll see the element there, and then out here near the end of it, you, you it gets fatter. And, you know, that's, that's a trap right there. And then there's a, you know, the element continues on a little longer. Let's see what the answers are here. To permit multiband operation, well, let's go on. To not spurious frequencies, no. To provide balanced feed point impedance, nothing to do with that. To prevent out-of-band operation, no. It's, it's to permit multiband operation because, um, well, that changes the resonance of that element. Uh, depending on the frequency you're operating on and what band the whole element may be resonant at one frequency because it's seeing those traps and that's you know making that element appear you know a different length than it actually is and then if you change to another man uh, band it may just ignore the traps there and only see you know a portion that's resonant mm -hmm. at that frequency so it's multi-band okay and that's what they're saying over in the chat room. Hey, to prevent multiband operation. Permit, yeah. What is one disadvantage of a directly fed random wire HF antenna? A, it must be longer than one wavelength. B, you may experience RF burns when touching metal objects in your station. C, it produces only vertically polarized radiation. Or D, it's more effective on the lower HF bands than on the higher HF bands. I don't think that's true. Directly fed random wire antennas. Oh, a direct fed random wire antenna. That's a, that's a RF making machine I think I think you're gonna must be longer than one wavelength I don't think that's right the, the R, I think it's gonna be the RF burns one but let me go on the rest of them it produces only vertical that's not right either it's more effective on the lower HF bands I think it's gonna be B you may experience RF burns when touching metal objects in your station um, direct fed random wire. Direct fed. I think so. Yeah, I, I think you're right. It's B. Uh, there's most of the folks over in the chat room said it's B. And there you go. You may get uh, some RF burns if you're using a random wire HF antenna. These, these are tough, man. They're tough because mm -hmm. you can't reason most of them somewhat. 
But if you felt that burning sensation in your finger, you'd figure that one out. Yeah, you'd figure that one out. Yep. B. What is a random wire? It's a random piece of wire. Just a random length. Well, it's just a... Well, it's it's just not a, resonant on the frequency mm-hmm. you're trying to operate. Yeah, it's just a piece of wire. It's, it's just here. Here's what I got. This is the antenna. Yeah. I've put up receive antennas like that before. But yeah. I've never used one to try to transmit. People transmit with them. Yeah. You look for the guys that's got the little burn marks on their <laughs> fingertips, and you can locate them. Okay. One final question for tonight. I'll let you ask me this one. Okay. What type of device is often used? Oh, this is an easy one. What type of device is often used to match transmitter output impedance to an impedance not equal to 50 ohms? A, a balanced modulator. B, SWR bridge. C, antenna coupler or antenna tuner. Or D, a Q multiplier. Uh, Yeah, this one is pretty simple here, but let's just go over it. Uh, What's often used to match transmitter output impedance to an impedance not equal to 50 ohms? Uh, Yeah, and the reason you want to do that, your transmitter output impedances are almost 50 ohms, always. So your antenna may not be, so you need to match it somehow. A balanced modulator, no, that's not it. A balanced modulator is something that's used um, inside the transmitter to to create uh, modulation. Oh, audio. Yeah, it's not, not in the antenna circuit. B, an SWR bridge. That is uh, basically like an SWR meter. That's not, um, that's not going to change anything. It's just going to let you determine what your SWR is. D, a Q multiplier. That's not it either. It's B, antenna coupler or antenna tuner. You mean C and antenna? C, yes. Antenna coupler or antenna tuner. I mean, te- on a technicality. No. <laughs> no, no buzzer. Uh, that's what the answer is. Most of us call them tuners. You could call it a coupler. It's the same mm-hmm. thing. Everybody got that one right over in the chat room there. Yep. It's C, antenna coupler or antenna tuner. Boy, a tough night tonight on the question front. There, it, they were tough. Yeah. I didn't think they were going to ever come to an end. But they did. You know, really, we should have, um, if we had been current on our propagation and antenna theory, there would have been no issues. We would have breezed right through them without batting an eye. But we were not current on those no, two. No, we were not. So uh, we missed. I missed. I missed two tonight. I don't know. Have we ever? Yeah, we've had two wrong in one episode I think we've before. Died. Yeah. yeah, I think I was the uh, the title holder. I for think that one. so. We're just basically tied now. Is that yeah. what? Yeah. That random piece of random length piece of wire they're transmitting on. I wonder if that's putting more RF in the shack than this. Um. Probably. Yeah, probably so because this you can at least resonate it with with the coil and changing the yeah, length. But of the whole it. thing's in the shack. Oh, well, uh, yeah. No, I know when you're using it, no, it's, yeah. it's fine. I misunderstood the question. No. Just, just like those other two. Here, right here by my head. <laughs> yeah. My, 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 my head. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll be back in just a minute. We want to tell you how you can possibly win this great prize package coming up from Amateur Logic, ICOM, MFJ, Howl Sound, and... Our friend Gordo. Gordo. Around the 15th of each month, it's Amateur Radio's original and longest-running video podcast, AmateurLogic.tv, with hosts George Thomas, Tommy Martin, and Emil Diodine. Roughly, here's what I have. The bottom trace here is ground. While the elements will jiggle some, they're actually not too bad. It's light. After putting it together, I decided to test everything, so I ran in 12 volts, and I'm measuring the output here. Too windy right now, Jim. It was yesterday. We're in the antenna switching matrix. 
Any one of our six broadcast transmitters could be connected to any of the 22 antennas. I personally am so thrilled that George got the special award. Well deserved, my friend. That's really cool. What about the Super Bowl, Emil? Did you go to the Super Bowl or were you at home uh, operating that night? Tuning my amplifier and... Oh, I lost power in the shack and uh, went outside. The house lost power. <laughs> the whole neighborhood went out for about yeah. 30 minutes. I, I don't know what happened. Oh, huh. that explains a lot. And we can take this and put it over inside our box. It's flush to the bottom. If we were to rotate, we can see that thing goes all the way through. So we'll have a hole in the bottom. Here's what it looks like after I've got them all soldered together and the heat shrinked up. Okay, let's give it a try and see how it worked out. So there you have it, the hula loop. No, you can't null out the dogs barking. I have two thin film solar cells to run this. Looks like a little mini weather satellite, actually. And uh, I'm using a guitar string for the antennas. I particularly like that last one there. $29.99, you can get a 50-foot garden hose extension cord combo. (laughs) Do not get cord wet. Now, most of these J-poles are built with metal elements of tubing. Uh, the reason I chose wire for this one is the length of this particular one. So I wanted to hang it from the tree so I can hoist it up there. Yeah. Go fishing. Well, we couldn't find the reel. Yeah. Is that what yeah. that is? All right, Tommy, sing the theme song here. We're going to give away a prize package here. If you haven't heard already, this is it right here. What's the 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 prizes, Tommy. First, we got the ICOM IC7300 base station radio from ICOM. Yep, we've got the MFJ2286 antenna. That's the big stick right here mm-hmm. uh, from MFJ. And it's a lot bigger than it appears here. It extends out 17 feet and it wouldn't fit in the shack. Well, we had to cut a hole in the ceiling to get the- Yeah. Uh, we've got the Heil ICM microphone. From Heil Sound. The Heil BM-17 headset from Heil Sound. Uh, We've got the MFJ-4230 DMP 12-volt 30-amp power supply. Yep, right here. And we've got uh, 50 foot of RG-8X coax from MFJ. Mm -hmm. And we've got Gordon West licensed study guides from Gordon West Radio School in W5YI. So let's um, talk about the prizes first. Okay. And then we'll talk about how you can register and the qualifications. Uh, the IC7300's um, RF direct sampling system, what that is is the RF signals are directly converted to digital data instead of going through the IFs and all of a typical radio. ICOM does it with direct conversion to digital data. Uh, then they process it with filled programmable gate arrays, FPGAs, and that makes it possible to simplify the circuit construction as well as reduce the noise that can mask weaker signals. It's got great DSP noise reduction on it. Uh, RMDR and phase noise characteristics are great. Reciprocal mixing dynamic range, that's what RMDR is. It's a new term that came about. Uh, to describe the characteristics of a software-defined radio. On this one, 97 dB. Uh, Superior phase noise characteristics help reduce noise components for both receive and transmit signals. It has 15 discrete bandpass filters. The RF direct sampling is protected by an array of bandpass filters. It switches in whichever of those 15 it needs for the band that you're operating in. Uh, the signal passes through one of the 15 filters where signals outside the band are rejected, and that helps reduce the insertion loss, and the IC7300 utilizes high-Q factor coils in that. It's got a 4.3-inch color touchscreen display on it, real-time spectrum scope, built-in automatic tuner, 101 memory channels, SD memory card slot for saving data, a multifunction meter, it's got uh, CW functions like full break-in, CW reverse, CW auto-tuning. And, of course, it does single sideband, CW ready, AM and FM modes. 
And the power supply, Tommy. Yeah, that's uh, that. this the right here. It's the uh, MFJ forty two thirty MVP power supply, super compact, thirty amp, mighty light switching power supply. Got digital voltmeter and ammeter, five way binding posts, and a pair of Anderson power poles. Uh, provide twenty five amps of continuous and thirty amps of surge at thirteen point eight volts of DC. It's adjustable from 4 to 16 volts. Uh, you can uh, choose uh, 120 or 240 volts at 47 to 63 hertz to take it with you anywhere in the world uh, or in the U.S. Mm-hmm. It's a great... The, the U.S. is not part of the world. <laughs> no. no. It, it depends on who you ask. Okay. <laughs> so, but it's, it's, a pretty, it's a sweet power supply. I really like it. It is. It really is, and that one's mine. We're not giving that one away. We've got a new one in a box over yeah. here. Uh, we've got the MFJ2286 portable big stick HF antenna. This covers 7 to 55 megahertz, uh, handles 1 kilowatt of power. There's a 17-foot telescopic stainless steel whip here that collapses to just 28 inches in seconds, and you can extend it to 17 feet in just seconds. It's got an adjustable high Q air wound coil, and it includes the MFJ 342T pipe mount and a counterpoise kit. You can t- really deploy this antenna quick. I-, I can't think of hardly any antenna you could get going quicker. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it's really easy right to set here. up. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw uh, Vince do set this up on his uh, car for field day last year. Mm hmm. Uh, we've also got 50 foot of U.S. made MFJ RG8X coax cable right there. So you got a way to hook the radio and the antenna together. Yep. And we got some microphones here as well. We do. We've uh, got um, go we got the Heil ICM microphone, a high performance microphone specially designed for owners of earlier ICOM rigs. That exhibit uh, low gain in the microphone amplifier stage. There's not a cheap electric element that's in this mic. It utilizes a high-quality condenser element with a broad frequency response of 35 hertz to 12 kilohertz. And a high output is crafted for compatibility with these earlier ICOM transceivers. Push the talk button right there on the side, and it has a connector already installed to fit ICOM rigs. Perfect. Uh, we've also got the new Heil BM17 lightweight emergency communications headset. I'd like to take this back home with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the BM17 is available with either a BM17 dynamic element or the BM17 IC electric element. The speakers used in the BM17 are very sensitive, don't require much AF drive from the transceiver. The frequency response is 200 kilo. I'm sorry, 200 hertz to 5 kilohertz with very low distortion. The ear pads are replaceable acoustic foam, and the BM17 is lightweight headset designed for emergency communications. It's available as either single side or dual side model. And this one happens to be the dual side model. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's really nice. I think this is a brand new item. I'm pretty sure. Oh yeah, it is. And it's uh, easy to find in your go kit, too, with that bright yellow I, color. I like there. the color. Mm-hmm. And maybe um, you've got to be an amateur to enter the contest. I guess maybe we should have said this earlier. But maybe you're a technician. And if so, you couldn't get much use out of that radio. You could use 10 meters. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of it you could use six meters but there's a lot of other bands there that you're going to want to get on so to help you prepare in addition to ham college here it would be great if you had the official textbook which is the gordon west amateur radio study guides uh, your choice of either the general or the extra class license there uh, gordo WB6NOA and Eric P. Nichols KL7AJ cover all the topics and questions you need to pass your exam with confidence. And why don't we throw in 
something extra, Tommy. We've done this before. We've done it, we've done it before, and they were so well received. We're going to do it again. Throw in a couple of the uh, commemorative PL gold uh, gold PL two fifty nines. The genuine faux gold. Genuine faux gold, just for you. Just for you. So those will be coming as well. And we are almost out of those. So yeah, so that's get them a limited while they're edition. Hot. Yeah. And well, that's a quite a prize package. That is, it's everything you need to get on HF. Mm-hmm. Uh, and really a nice radio. Very nice radio. I wish my first radio would have been an IC7300. Yeah, me too. Except you would have only been a ham for a few years. True. Yeah, they didn't have them back. Yeah. It's back a, this week, I, uh, I, was, I had one at the house I played with for a while. I was just sick having to give it back. Yep. So it's it's a very nice radio. Whoever the lucky winner is is going to enjoy it. Sure are. All this stuff is great. Well, let's tell them how you qualify for it. Well, if we don't, then maybe I can win it myself. I don't think you can win it. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess go you, through the rules and see. you got to be a licensed U.S. or Canadian amateur radio operator with a U.S. or Canadian shipping address. Only one entry per contestant. Sending more than one entry disqualifies the applicant. And the winner is responsible for any taxes that are incurred. The winner agrees to the use of his or her call sign and name in promotional and news items related to the contest. And contestants must not be an employee or affiliate of AmateurLogic, ICOM, Howl Sound, MFJ Enterprises, or Gordon West. To enter is pretty easy. All you've got to do is send an email to contest2018 at amateurlogic.tv. With only your call sign in the subject line, include your name, call sign, class of license, and address in the email message. And submissions must be made between <laughs> Saturday, August the 11th, and Thursday, October the 11th of 2018. And how are we going to select a winner? Well, we're going to do it just like we did previously. The contest winner is going to be selected by a random number from the entries received. The winner will be announced on October the 15th episode of AmateurLogic.tv. And if it's determined that the winning entry doesn't meet the qualifications, then we'll simply choose another winner through a random drawing there. The contest rules and information are posted at AmateurLogic.tv slash contest. We suggest you go there, check it all out for yourself, make sure you've got the qualifications and your entry correct. By all means, Register. It doesn't cost anything. The email addresses are not harvested. No, they'll at be at the end of the contest. Just like deleted. the shirts are going to get deleted at the end of the contest, and mm-hmm. we will not keep them, and no one else gets them either. Um, what happens when you get an, when you send the email? How will I know that I actually got registered? When they send an email to the contest address there. Contest 2018 at TV. Our autoresponder is going to send an email to you say, thanks for registering. You, your entry has been submitted, and, uh, yeah. and good luck in the contest. Yep. So if you don't, where I was going with that is if you don't get the autoresponder back, check your spam folder and mm-hmm. make sure that didn't get caught. So it may actually get picked up there. If for some reason you don't get it, uh, email one of us and, and let us know. Yeah, and we'll be glad to check it for you. Don't send another one because no. if your other one did go, you'll you'll get yourself disqualified. So it's better to check. And first. and I've got to say there have been people in the previous contest disqualified because they <clears throat> they entered too many times. Yeah, unfortunately there there was. Yeah, so only once, and pay attention to the rules. Remember only your call sign in the subject line, and then the other information, the address, and all in the body of the message. But go to amateurlogic.tv slash contest. Get the details there before you register, just to be sure you got everything yep. right. And good luck in the contest. Good luck in the contest. And, Dean, I think it's about time that uh, maybe we wrap up the show tonight. Okay. It's been a bumpy ride. It has. I, I still can kind of feel the knots on my head mm-hmm. where I hit the ceiling a few times. <laughs> Uh, a couple of things we want to mention on the way out the door is our social networks, facebook.com slash group slash amateurlogic.tv. Yeah, we're also on Google+. Plus. We've got uh, Amateur Logic and Hand College groups there. Mm-hmm. And you can follow us 
on Twitter at Amateur Logic. And actually, since this uh, lower third was made, we're also on um, Instagram. There's an Amateur Logic account there. So if you're an Instagram user, uh, join us there as well. Cool. And one other thing to mention, our show notes wiki, amateurlogic.tv slash wiki. Our friend Dan in 9LVS does that for us. Yep. Show notes. On Been doing that a long time. Episodes. Really appreciate you doing those, Dan. Yep. Um, we sure do. And I think that's going to do it for tonight. It is starting to get a little toasty in here in the old shack. It is getting toasty. So we're going to slip on out the door and turn on the air conditioner over here. Thanks for being with us tonight. We'll have another Ham College around the end of next month. And we've got an amateur logic will be coming up around the middle right. of next about, month. Roughly about two weeks from today. About two weeks from today. You do want to be there for that. I can tell you there's going to be some interesting stuff on it. We've got a lot of Hamfest stuff. Uh, yeah, but, uh, yeah, got some different stuff. Yeah. You and I went to, to Huntsville, and Wayne went as well. Yeah. And uh, we got some nice stuff from there that we want to show at the next Amateur Logic. And Peter and our friend, the hat, yeah. John Baggett. John. They went to the Tokyo Ham Fair and shot us some things there that uh, I think you'll like yeah, to see. Yeah, so I, I'm, I haven't seen any of that yet, so I'm going to kind of hold out on watching those clips and uh, see it when everybody else does. Yeah. So I'm looking well, forward to seeing that. It's good stuff. I hope to go there one day. That's on my bucket list. Oh, certainly one of the best ham fest in the world. Yeah, yeah it should yeah. be good. Thanks for being here, everyone. We look forward to seeing you all, uh, well, next month. Yeah, don't forget to put your entry in for the contest, and uh, don't forget to re register for the shirt and the hat as well. Yep. 7-3. Seven, 7-3. Three. Seven, three. We're going to be talking a little later here about uh, the contest that's going over on AmateurLogic.tv. It's the 13th episode. No, it's the 13th anniversary. You got an update on your computer over there. Maybe we don't want to do it right now. Ooh. You got one for me? I do. I got one right there on the screen. Can't you see it? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs>